Today on Sagittarian Matters, quitting your job, surviving the apocalypse, an encounter with a celebrity, and more with my very special Capricorn guest, Beth Pickens. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters, Sagittarian Matters, what's the Hello from Los Angeles. I have a lot to talk about, so I'm going to get right to it. Uh, The first thing, I don't know why this came to me, but I wanted to tell you that when I was in high school, I had a crush on a guy named Mike Patterson. He had black hair, he went to my Catholic school, and he had a Fugazi patch on his backpack. He probably wore Converse, but I can't remember. I want you to know he worked at a place called You Wash Puppy. The letter U, Wash Puppy. You Wash Puppy was a self-service dog wash, uh, a place that has big basins and spray bottles, spray hoses, dog shampoo, whatever, so you can take your giant unwieldy dog there and wash it. I had a Shih Tzu. He could fit very well in our kitchen sink or bathtub. He was very docile, but I really wanted to go flirt hardcore with Mike Patterson, and so I would play to my mom's want of having clean animals in the house and get $10 from her to go take Gizmo to you wash puppy and give him a wash. What was my flirting technique? Ignoring. My flirting technique was no eye contact, no, no, no talking, no interaction, just going, paying the fee, washing the dog, sweating a little bit, and then leaving. Um, I really enjoyed doing this so much that Gizmo was very clean during this time, our Shih Tzu. And so at one point, in order to extract the $10 from my mom to go back to you wash puppy, I actually smeared some peanut butter on on Gizmo's head so that he looked a little dirtier than he was. Gizmo loved it, by the way. I put a little peanut butter on his head and told my mama he really needed a bath. And she gave me the money. And I went and I washed the dog at the place. Um, That's it. Nothing ever happened. Mike Patterson never spoke to me, I don't think. We never got together. Nothing happened. You saw where my life led me. Now I'm queer and whatever. But for some reason, I just really wanted to share that with listeners. In other news, if you've been wanting to help Australia and you are a writer, a cartoonist, or an artist, please consider raising money amongst your fans using the hashtag AuthorsForFireys. This is an unofficial thing. The hashtag is just so people who want to give can find you. And so this community of artists can have one unifying hashtag. Basically, you offer something, maybe a custom portrait, maybe a signed book, maybe a signed book plus three other books that no one's ever seen before that you've had stuck in your cupboard because they're translations and you don't know what to do with them. Um, You can offer those things to the highest bidder set a time, set a time, say like, okay, here's what I'm putting up for auction. Bid by Friday. On Friday, I'm going to look whoever's the high bid gets the stuff. I just did this. I, Nicole, and I made $400 for Australia. I'm telling you this because it's $400 more than I personally had to give to Australia, but I have been very troubled by everything I've been seeing. And I felt like I needed to do something. And this was something that it's not hard for me to do. And so I can't imagine 
I can imagine if we have listeners who are cartoonists or authors or artists, if you have a small fan base or even your family or whatever, people who care, who would like some of this art or custom whatever anyway, or specially signed books, why not try to make some money for one of the many things on planet Earth that is um, crumbling and on fire right now? The thing that I offered, thank you for asking. I am going to draw a portrait of this person or their pet with a cute Australian mammal. That's what I offered as my thing because I like drawing all the animals of Australia and I could draw a koala hugging somebody's dog, right? Anyway, um, if you're an author, consider doing Authors for Fireys. You don't need to sign up anywhere. You can just choose which of the places you want them to donate their money to. They send you a receipt. You send them the stuff. So easy. In other news... I went to see comedian Maria Bamford today work out some new material at a place called The Clubhouse in Los Angeles, where she often does free donation-based comedy se- sessions, comedy shows. You get there early, you stand in line, and then you see Maria Bamford in the middle of the afternoon. It's great, especially great if you are a freelance person or someone who works from home. Something you may not know about me is I get a lot of anxiety about getting a good seat I'm very short. I don't want to stand in the back. I like sitting down. I like having a good seat. I like knowing I'm going to have a good seat. So if it's a a general admission thing, if I can, I will get there as early as I need to, sometimes two hours early, and just camp out somewhere. One of my friends called it lesbian tailgating because we'll get to an event two hours in advance and just really hunker down with some french fries or whatever. Um, I sometimes will do admin work on my phone, whatever. All that is to say, I went to Maria Bamford today. I was standing outside in the parking lot of John's, which is a grocery store, so I could get into this comedy club. And I saw the most ungraceful, awkward, loud chat and cut that I have ever seen in my whole life. If you don't watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, then you may not know that Larry David coined this term a chat and cut, which is basically when somebody sidles up to a line and they see somebody who they are pretending like they know better than they do so they can engage in a conversation with them with the explicit purpose of wedging themselves into that line via the conversation. They're talking and then they're staying. This guy started to do that, but he was so awkward about it. He was publicly looking at us, acknowledging the people that had been there longer than him in line and then made it seem like he was going to move to the back at some point just as soon as he was done with this convo with his great pals. And then he never left. And then I was like, well, maybe he is going to leave. But then the line started moving and he started moving with the line in that place in front of me with the people that had been there a long time that already had quite a posse. And I said, really? Oh, is this for real? This is really a chatting cut? And then he ignored me, except for looking at me with a sheepish, guilty look and then avoiding eye contact the rest of the time. I was on Instagram. I asked my Instagram friends what they thought my move should be in this situation. And they suggested some things that were very reasonable, like a sucker punch or a karate chop or table topping him, which is, I think where you, I had to Google it. That is when you um, push somebody over your friend who's kneeling behind them. So they trip and fall. And somebody else suggested a shiv, which is like a sharpened toothbrush, like a a prison utensil. Um, 
what I ended up doing, even though these are all great recommendations and I appreciate everybody who wrote in, what I ended up doing was having to drop it once we were in. I mean, I thought about like shoving past him or saying something, but I just, I went in and I got my seat and I just tried to ignore him. And that's, that, that served me better, I guess, than like, um, getting in a physical altercation with a man and not being able to go in and see Maria Bamford, who's a very tender, wonderful comedian who I would love to have on the podcast someday. Okay. Last but not least, you've learned so many things about me today, listeners, and the podcast hasn't even begun. Last but not least, I have a quick plug for my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Nicole J. Georges. This is a way for you to be a patron of my art and a patron of Ponyo Georges without actually being a trillionaire. Um, you can pay as little as two or $6 a month and have access to hundreds of pages of unpublished diary comics, high resolution prints, exclusive Ponyo content, and more. Or you can join Ponyo's friend club, which entitles you to a badge, a membership card, which I'm not that good at making, and a copy of anonymous fuzzball. So you can go there. Ponyo's Friend Club really helps as we go through the changes in Ponyo's vision and all of her eye care that needs to happen. And I want to tell you, it's a good time to become a patron because Valentine's Day is around the corner. I always make a high-resolution Valentine that you can print out and color and give to somebody or save for yourself. And producer Ponyo and I love collaborating on videos, custom videos that she will text to your sweetheart wishing them happy Valentine's Day in her dog voice. And those things are exclusive to Ponyo's Friend Club members. So if you wanted to become a Friend Club member, consider that now's a good time and get on patreon.com slash Nicole J. Georges. Now, please enjoy the show. If I didn't say it before, the food club, the recipe club was inspired by the New Yorker article, The Many Lives of Roberto a Soup by Helen Rossner. Check it out and enjoy my talk with Pickens. Beth Pickens, happy birthday and welcome back to Sagittarian Matters. It is my favorite holiday, my favorite day of the year, my birthday. Um, can you tell me about your very special day? What's happened today? I went to yoga, went to pony sweat with my birthday twin, Amelia, who was teaching. Um, I'm going to go to an ISO tank at mm. Just Float in Pasadena and float in the, the lukewarm water for an hour and then going out to dinner with my beloved husband wife. You know, also, I think you've been touched by an angel today. We had a brush, a brush with fame. We did. We didn't. It, fame brushed us. Fame brushed us. Fame brushed us starting with Ponyo. Starting with Pano. So we're in Lassen's, which is in Los Angeles, a local health food store. We're getting some vegan burritos after pony sweat. Haven't eaten yet. Very excited to order our little soy chorizo burritos. And Pano is hidden in a tote bag on your shoulder. And I'm telling you all about my ophthalmologist appointment. Mm-hmm. When a, a lady, a very familiar lady with a southern drawl, asks me how old I am. This lady is Andy McDowell. 
<laughs> and I said, well, today I'm 41 and I'm having the experience of every doctor that I see starts to say things about, well, because of your age. And that started last year when I turned 40. Now everything is, well, because of your age, X, Y, Z. And Andy McDowell said, oh, you look so young. You look so young. You look so young. Oh, and now I'm going to, now I'm, that's good. That might go in my spank bang to have, <laughs> think of Andy McDowell saying, you look so young. Young. But, young. <laughs> But before then, she was uh, canoodling with producer Ponyo behind my back. Yeah. Because Ponyo's head sticks out of the tote bag, so strangers will come up and interact with her, and I try to ignore them. And, you know, and Ponyo already was cute and attractive and attracted strangers, but now is a cyclops and does so even more. <laughs> we got the one eye moved right to the middle of her head like Just a proper, right proper cyclops. Yeah. It was an expensive surgery, but I think worth it. So, Beth Pickens, Andy McDowell said, happy birthday. You look so young. So young, young, young. <laughs> <laughs> that will be in your spank bank forever and it ever. Was, it was amazing because, you know, we, we live in Los Angeles. We leave celebrities alone. We don't approach them. I said it's like gremlins, but you said that's not exactly the right analogy. Like, I don't look at them. <laughs> I don't make eye contact. I don't approach them. I don't feed them after midnight. I don't get them wet. Well, and then I told Beth that not looking at a gremlin is not actually – not making eye contact is not actually one of the rules, but she said maybe it should be. Maybe it should be. And so, you know, my thing with a celeb is just I don't speak until spoken to like I'm a Victorian child. <laughs> but she approached she, us. She was eager to talk to us because we're young, we're hip. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Because yeah. we were in line at Lassen's. Everyone's waiting for their burritos and their juices. Then she put on her reading glasses for us, and she looked great. Yeah, she's like, my glasses make my eyes look so much bigger, which is the great thing about glasses. And she put them on, and they were really nice glasses. I told her she looked hotter and more intelligent. Yeah. And then we excused ourselves because, you know, we don't have to overindulge. We're busy ladies with things to do, celebrity or no. But it was a really lovely encounter. And I, you know, I love having celebrities say happy birthday to me. Oh, yeah. One time, I think when I turned 30 or 31, I, I was at a literary event in San Francisco and Allie was in it with Margaret Cho. And she had Margaret Cho say, sing happy birthday to me from oh the stage. It was God. so special. It felt like it was really glorious. Um, not to brag, but one of my birthday parties had an appearance from both E.T. and Santa Claus. <laughs> so this is a party as an adult. <laughs> maybe maybe like like my 32nd or something ET came to karaoke and Santa Claus that's, who is skinnier in real life than you would think. Yeah, that's wild. I mean, especially being a Sagittarius, that's a busy high season for Santa. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's ET is a little off season actually. I don't yeah. know what his his season is. Seems like more summertime spring. But uh yeah, they were both there and it was I, I neither of them said much except you know ho 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 and then ET said ET loves you but that was a, a really special birthday. Yeah, it was special. Now we get to add Andy McDowell to that list. Yeah. But on but on the Capricorn end, you know? Yeah. If you ever, I don't think that you believe in Santa Claus anymore now that you're Jewish. But uh, <laughs> I only stopped believing when I had my conversion mikvah. I was like, oh my God, Santa's not real in that moment underwater. I remember there was a little bit of mourning around it, you yeah. know, at your bat mitzvah. But <laughs> all I have to say, uh, also on this day, I posted our Amazing Race video, which is no longer listed on YouTube. So I had to work really hard to find the link. And then I just videotaped my laptop, uh, the video, from when we applied to the Amazing Race. What year was that? 2011, that was. Mm-hmm. That's nine years old. We didn't get on the show. No. We didn't even get a call. <laughs> Spoiler, we did not get on Amazing Race. <laughs> We didn't have a strong storyline, which is what I see now. If we had to do it again, I would have us respond to agitation together. I would have us try to agitate each other a little bit. And I would add some kind of stakes. Like, if this happened, then 
something. Right. Or if we don't win the Amazing Race, then blank. Right. Like I, you're you're gonna if we win, you're gonna finally tell me you have feelings for me on live TV. Like I, I tell the producers in the confessional, I'm like, I have feelings for Beth. But the only way I can tell her is if I prove to her through our partnership and um, athletic skill that we're meant to be together. I'm going to pop the question on the mat when we win. But if we don't do well on the show, we're both getting put to sleep. <laughs> so we didn't we didn't make it, but we had a really good video that many queer people got angry about. If you'll recall, the controversy, the controversy, the controversy the con- controversy was that beth and i said we would never date each other because we're not each other's type because and we're both femme well no we didn't say it, it got edited that way remember oh. chris chris vargas who shot and edited this it was a femphobe <laughs> <laughs> just kidding just kidding basically through our conversation he just stitched it together but so the way it stitched together it sounds like we're saying no we've never dated we're not each other's type because we're both femme. So then the people came for us. This was er- still early internet days in 2011, so people didn't come for us as hard as they would now. But we didn't actually say two femmes wouldn't get together. But the way it's edited, yeah. it sounded that way, and people got mad. Somebody YouTube. was like, two femmes can two make a whole? Like It just was like, <laughs> femmes can like each other. Which, weird, I'm never disputing that fact, but just, we're just, that. That's just not in my sexual purview. Yeah, at yeah, this no, moment, no. right? But but and we but that's not what we were saying. But it's just how it was edited. Yeah. But then Chris Vargas intervened and said, you know, the power of editing is real. This is not what these two people were saying, and he he saved our our careers. I think we were practicing to be on reality <laughs> TV and getting edited, getting a strong Fifi O'Hara edit. <laughs> <laughs> Who was going to be the villain? We were both going to be villains in different ways on yeah. The Amazing Race. Well, one because of, I always get into fights with men. That was one of the plot points was that Beth Pickens has had confrontations with men around the globe yes. when she's seen them being unkind to women. Yes. I intervene, which is a really dumb thing. And stakes get heightened. Voices are raised. And it's never actually helped the woman no, necessarily. No, of course not. Of course not. <laughs> it's just me being a hothead. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I – I mean, I don't know. I'm short – and so I feel like I would play that to my advantage on the race by getting us a good place in line by sneaking around people <laughs> while you're talking to them up at like 5'10 eye level. Mm-hmm. I would be sneaking around because I'm 5'2 and kind of gremlin us into a good spot or like steal their backpacks or something. I think, I mean, it, it's been shown time and time again that as a Sagittarius, I exude a kind of untrustworthiness <laughs> that whenever I play the game Mafia, um, people think I'm mafia no matter what. I get killed when, in the first two rounds, even if I have not even – I've rarely have ever been picked as mafia during mafia. It's a game where the host of the game chooses who secretly is mafia and then the group has to ferret it out. I always get killed right away, even though I'm not guilty. It's I just shifty eyes. I seem guilty. Sagittarian eyes. Yeah. And then I, I give an impassioned plea. I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, I volunteer with senior citizens, children. <laughs> Lies. Come on. Lies. And then they, they, <laughs> they kill you. Yeah. And, but then as they're killing me, I'm like, I hope if you vote to kill me, I hope that you know that you just killed an innocent person. Way to go. Congratulations. <laughs> Beth Pickens, we have a couple things to talk about. We have some advice. But first, I want to talk about something that I think we may disagree on. This is a he said, she said. And that is a new thing from a restaurant called By Chloe. Mm-hmm. This is called Chicky. Chicky. Now, Chicky is just, it's a gluten-free panko-breaded tempeh that's deep fried. I went to By Chloe and I got a side of Chicky. It was like $5 for like four pieces, which feels like not much when you get the basket with four little fingers of tempeh in it. I thought it was 100% 
great and fine. Mm-hmm. I think probably the chicky as a snack is probably pretty good. The problem is I got the salad, which was, I think they were trying to do it in the style of the sort of American Chinese chicken salad oh, no. with mandarin segments, uh, slivered walnuts, and then the chicky being the chicken on top and kind of a creamy sesame dressing. So I ordered the – and I believe – because I, I like by Chloe and I think that she is developing good recipes. I don't know that they get executed in every store properly. My salad, I'll just put it this way, was not made with any love. It, it, <laughs> the base of it is kale. And if there's one thing we know about kale in a salad, what do you have to do to kale? Massage it. You need to massage it. You never hand a salad to a human being with raw kale and dressing on top. That's an inedible salad. Then you're you're actually saying, okay, here are the here here's the kit. Now you put it together. <laughs> you put on this glove and stick your hand in this yeah. bowl for four minutes while you break down the cellular walls of this with an acid that we provided you with. Yes, because otherwise it's going to break down your stomach lining, your stomach. And yeah. you and I, we both have massive stomach problems all the time, so yeah. we don't need more of that because we were raised right. We were raised right. <laughs> And our adrenals are fine. (laughs) So I get the salad and it's got some romaine. It's it's like romaine and and, and chopped kale are really the the base components. And then the chickie and the dressing. So I get the salad and it's not made with very much love or kale. Kale or care. It's made with kale, but not with care. The kale is just raw at the bottom, untouched by any dressing. It, the dressing is pretty heavy and it was it, – it's a heavy, gloopy dressing and they put like I think seven cups on it. I don't know. There were, it was swimming in dressing that wasn't actually touching any of the kale. And the chickie, you know, is quite cold by now. And I think you got like one, maybe two pieces cut in half on top. Oh, my God. And so it was a really disappointing salad. And I love their kale Caesar Mm -hmm. with the croutons and the shiitake bacon. I think it's really nice and flavorful. And it's always dressed well. And I like a salad that's a meal, a substantial salad that feels like, I just did something. I had a meal. It was a salad. Look at me. Congratulations. (laughs) But this was definitely a punishment salad. Did you eat it? Yeah, of course I ate it. I paid for it. I mean, I don't throw away any food. So I ate it, but I would never order it again. But I would try a side of chicky. I love fake meats mm-hmm. of all kinds. And it wasn't not good, but in this salad context, it wasn't good. It was it was cold, had gloopy dressing on it, didn't mm-hmm. work. I, and for that reason, I'm out. Well, by Chloe, I think, was on Shark Tank. So it's very appropriate that you use that terminology. Did she win? Did she get shark money investment? Can't remember. Didn't actually see it, but I know that she was a... It's vegan lore. Yes. Um, I have gotten their Thai salad before, and it was so disgusting I returned it, which is rare for me because, you know, I have codependency issues. I would, I'll just be like, no, it's fine. It's great. Everything's great. Thank you. And then go take myself to a different meal. But it was so bad that I returned it. Yeah. Because it was mm-hmm. a similar gloopiness. It was too sweet. It was like sickly sweet, and it just, it was gross. Yeah. And then the people working agreed and... Gave me a, a better, different salad. So it wasn't even that it was just prepared incorrectly. It's just the components didn't work together. Yeah. I would say this dressing was a little too sweet and gloopy. And there and being seven cups worth was just too much for this one salad. Yeah. Well, so the chicky itself, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing a thumbs down from you. I'm thumb, me, thumb sideways because I'd be willing to try it again in a different context. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, have you eaten anything else lately that you really enjoyed? You know, <clears throat> I did go to San Gabriel Valley over the holidays. I think it was, I can't remember when. But we went to Chengdu Taste, a very famous Sichuan restaurant. 
um, that, you know, was really popular. And then Jonathan Gold just sort of blew it up even more. And they do a wonderful vegan hot pot <gasps> that has both ma and la. So the hot and the numbing spices in it. And it's chock full of vegetables, tons of lotus root. It's just like a big hot pot. It's Sichuan style. And Sichuan hot pot is not the kind where you are boiling things yourself. Oh. It comes to you very hot, really flavorful, spicy, mouth-numbing liquid with all the vegetables and everything already in it and noodles. Oh. So Chengdu taste their vegetarian hot pot. That is a hot tip. And then we, like a week later, had more traditional hot pot, Mm -hmm. Mongolian style, at uh, another place that I'm blanking on the name, but I can look it up if you want. Hot pot, hot pot. Hot pot, hot pot. Hot pot, hot pot. In Monterey Park. And they do a vegetarian broth. And then, you know, they have so many different ingredients you can choose from. So you can make it vegan or vegetarian. And we had everything vegan except we got some quail eggs. Speaking of Jonathan Gold and... City of Gold, the documentary about him. One of the restaurants that figures prominently that we need to go to is Meals by Gannett, the Ethiopian restaurant. Where's that? Oh, God. I think it's over near Fairfax. Mm -hmm. It's further west than us, but it's supposed to be fantabulous food, and they have a big vegetarian spread or big vegan spread. It's not a vegan restaurant, but you know the way Ethiopian works. Oh, I would love that. Today's episode is brought to you by Elise Miller, Robert Daniel, Michelle Lemoyne, Stephanie Mackley, Jill Pruitt, Tony Pinto, Shoshana Ruth Wachter, Christy Herod, Jill Soloway, and Mary Pinson. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, in particular, producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $10, that's your business, a million dollars via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That's hornet like the insect, leg like its appendage at gmail. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it, too. Don't be scared. That's just Ponyo's voice. Beth, we have some advice questions today to talk about. Well, um, and today, like all days, I have opinions, and I want to tell people how to live. Thank God. <laughs> um, first and foremost, people on Instagram ask Sagittarian Matters in light of the news about Trump messing with Iran. If you had any words of wisdom or soothing for us, the troubled population, as we fret and wring our hands and wonder if we should protest or vote or just read the articles more, like what do you you recommend we do during these times, which feel even a little closer to apocalypse than they did before? Yeah, this is like the million dollar question in this administration, right? Mm -hmm. It's sort of like the things are always the same. They're not different. They're just heightened and have maybe different stakes for more people. And so I have um, of multiple minds about it. My first initial thought is accept what you're powerless over. Like what are you actually powerless over? When do you have choices? When do you not have choices? So like for example, when this near brush of stuff was going on with Iran, I just – okay, back up again. One of the mind fucks of modernity – for example, living in Los Angeles, is that you just have to go about your day while the hills are literally on fire. I know it's very popular these days. Everyone's like, everything's on fire. The world's on fire. There's always been fires. There always will be fires. And sometimes in Los Angeles, we're just truly going about our day while six miles away is on fire. And that is one of the mindfucks of being alive, is that 
your day continues even while there are emergencies. And sometimes there's emergencies and circumstances in which you are asked or expected or called or required to do something, and many they're not. Many circumstances, even though they are terrifying, there is very little, if anything, for you to do. For example, Australian fires, which I tortured myself yesterday by looking at photos of animals. Don't do that. No. There's very there's nothing I can do. There is nothing I can do. I can provide zero services. I am not geographically anywhere close to this place. I can give some money, and that's kind of it. That's about all I can do. I, there's no awareness that needs to be raised necessarily. Like it's we're pretty clear. What has to happen is policy systemic change, which is what has to happen with most things. So I think when you feel an urgent fear, particularly around something stupid that this man is doing, which is everything, just breathing, I want you first to just check in with yourself and ask yourself, am, am, I, am I safe? I feel afraid, but am I actually unsafe? Right? Because in many ways, we always are and we never are. Like, yes, anything could happen at any time. An asteroid could hit the earth. You could be hit by a car. You're powerless over this. So I think the first things first is just check in with yourself. Like, in reality, are you actually fine? Are you actually quite safe? Is there, once you establish that, yes, you are actually safe, and the, the threats that exist are far beyond your ability to do anything about, you are powerless over them, then what you actually have to do is go about your day. Mm-hmm. And take care of yourself and the people around you and be in beloved community. And if and when there's a larger thing for you to participate in, you'll be made aware and you can make a choice then. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those are some of my thoughts. Some of my birthday thoughts. And because it's my birthday, you can't critique them. Isn't that amazing? That's just one of the laws of birthday. Because it's your birthday, we have to really appreciate <laughs> every piece of your wisdom and take what we like. Take what you like and leave the rest. You can leave it all. If you want to. Yeah. Um, do we have some more advice questions? Oh, we have so many. I have one that a listener sent. Just a quick softball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you have any advice for budding creatives? The universe is telling me to quit my job. Mm. It could be the universe. It could be you don't want to go there. And you know what? Jobs are for quitting. Work is for jerks. Work sucks. I get that. Especially... For artists, because you're this unusual class of people who do a whole extra job unpaid on top of the ways you make money. So I love for people to leave jobs they're miserable miserable at, but I don't want you to do that until you have a plan in place because you have to be able to take care of yourself and your obligations financially. Mm -hmm. So before you leave that job, you first must have a plan of how are you taking care of yourself financially. Is it another job you've already secured? Is it piecing some things together? Have you saved up a chunk of money? First decide how am I taking care of myself and for how long, then leave the job. And Always with any job, just don't burn bridges. You don't know who's going to pop up where again in your life. Leave, leave everything respectfully. Keep your side of the street clean. Do you think it is wise to expect your creativity to financially support you when you step away from a day job you've had for your entire adult life? Not without a plan. And I sort of think about it. You can't see the gesture I'm doing. but So on one end of the continuum, all money being made from non-artwork. And then the other end of the continuum all money being made from only creative work. So that's like you might slide up and down that continuum back and forth throughout your life. 
first and foremost, you have to make your work because it's, you're an artist and that's how you understand and process being alive and how you take care of yourself. And it may not make you money soon. It may never make you money. It is still vital and crucial that you do this thing. Lots of people can put plans into place to um, make some or all their money from their creative skills or their art output, but that takes time and planning and it's not going to happen immediately. Great. I have a question. I sent this to your Instagram. (laughs) How do I combat feelings of irrelevancy when I am in a holding pattern waiting for many different things to happen that are out of my control? Mm. When I'm not making art that's like publishable or towards a bigger goal, I'm just kind of doing my thing. And then I feel I'm going to slide into irrelevancy Mm -hmm. and fall out of the zeitgeist Mm -hmm. and be a has-been. Yeah. I think... Thank you for that anonymous question. You're welcome. I think some of that is really tied to social media modernity. Mm-hmm. That um, any moment that we're not having feedback or or our worth told to us through likes or however, um, that we think we don't exist anymore. It can social media really heightens that. So I think when that's coming up for you, that's a signal you need to get off of social media for a couple of days and just go be in your life. Because mm-hmm. the reality is like. Projects gestate and they take time and you don't know what's going to hit first and you're going to keep making work and it's going to be out in the world. That's what's happened so far. That's what's going to keep happening. And you don't have control over the timeline. But this time that you're in between really big projects can be time that can be reutilized for like rest refilling your coffers that get drained when you're in a big project enjoying life it's very it's sort of like for 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 artists self-employed people freelance people the moments when we're not working on a deadline we start to feel like we're not alive and it's never going to happen again and yet the whole point of working for yourself is that you don't have to work all the time if you don't want to so i think it can be a real skill we have to learn to when you have slower downtime to actually enjoy it instead of suffer through it But I definitely think step like really limiting social media because that's the number one thing that makes people think about a, a phrase such as relevancy. What is relevancy? You're a human. Like you're a beloved child of the universe. You don't have to do anything to be loved. And just thinking about it from an art perspective, you've already put out so much work. If you never do anything else again, you have this huge body of work. Here's one. I keep applying for things and am not accepted. How can I learn what I'm doing wrong? Yeah. First of all, it sucks when you get rejected from a bunch of things. And that's also the norm. Most people are not getting the thing that they're applying to. And with any application deadline, the vast majority of people who applied aren't getting it. Mm -hmm. So first, it's just normal. And it's not personal. It's never personal. It has nothing to do with you. You keep applying because it's a different group of bozos every time making the decision. Next, you can take some actions to find out, are there any problems that you don't see about your application? And a way you do that, first, the people who are um, saying to you, no thank you, sending you the decline letters, ask them, is there any feedback available? Occasionally, there's something wrong with your application, like they couldn't get your work sample to work or your budget didn't make any sense. Usually, you're going to get feedback that's just... It was great, but we had so many applicants or we didn't know what the urgency was. If you, you know, they'll just kind of make something up. There's probably nothing wrong with your application. It just wasn't your round of bozos. So you can do one thing except that you're not going to get most things you apply for. You just keep going after no's until you hit so many no's because then you'll get things along the way like we've talked about. And then second, ask for feedback from the panel. If there's any available to find out if there's any issues with your application you can't see, maybe show it to a couple of trusted artist friends who are further in their career. Um, See if there's any things that have to be fixed or fine-tuned or changed. Often it's just 
you're in the pool who didn't get it. And it has nothing to do with your value of your work. I think that's really good advice. I've been on a grant panel before and it really was down to like the taste of the judges and their knowledge, the things that they thought were important, et cetera. And it was completely random. This group of people that were pulled together, it was all local people that were either artists or involved in art community or funding. Like it just was really up to the actual taste and interests of each individual person on the panel it had nothing to do no. with the people that didn't get it, it just, it wasn't personal. No, it has nothing to do with you. And in fact, for every artist, I always recommend you try to, you try to be on the selecting side of things. Try to get yourself on some panels mm -hmm. so that you can see truly how difficult it is to make these decisions and that it has nothing to do with the applicants. It was really helpful for me to volunteer my time in that way. And also from doing that, I know that we all had scores of notes we had taken on each of the applicants. And that is what when people would call the foundation to see what happened with their application, they didn't get it. They had all of our notes available or some of our notes so they could give them that feedback. It was it's purposeful. You're not bugging someone. It's actually somebody's job at some of these places to give you that feedback. If you have an advice question for Sagittarian Matters, call or text our advice hotline, 971-361-9998. Leave a message. We might answer your question on the air, and we promise not to answer the phone. That is a Sagittarian promise that you can take all the way to the bank. Okay, how about this one? Any words on imposter syndrome? Oh my God. Yes, it's ubiquitous. Everybody has it. And if they say they don't have it, I bet they're lying. Do you have it? Of course. Just if you're a human with a human brain, you have imposter syndrome from time to time. I feel like you just have to fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. And I, part of me for imposter syndrome is even if I don't trust myself in that moment, I have to trust the people that hired me or that came to see me or whatever and try not to waste their time by being stuck in my own head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also think you don't have to be confident or excited to do something. You just have to be willing. And so when you're having imposter syndrome, just take a contrary action. Whatever the imposterism is telling you about yourself and what that means about what you should or shouldn't do, just do the opposite. But it's totally normal. Everybody has it. Even the people who are your heroes, who you think don't have any problems, they have it too. Oh, yeah. I think about this every time I step into a classroom and I'm like, oh, they definitely, they all know that I'm just some crumb bum off the street. I'm just here just throwing around pages of a comic book just trying to get them to do do something so I feel like we're taking up time. I have to remember like, oh, well, I actually was chosen by somebody who knows about this kind of stuff. And these people chose to be in my class. So I owe them, me at least pretending like I know what I'm talking about and pulling from the well of experience that I actually have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But imposter syndrome, um, when it comes up for you, that's a good time to check in with an artist friend and ask them what they do when they're feeling it. All right, I think we have time for one or two more. Okay, so this artist said, how do people get artist agents or illustration agents? How do you get agents? Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, I love this advice. I love telling people this. The first thing you need to do is you need to stalk some other people's careers. So some people whose books you like, illustrations you like, you can go to their website and see if their agent is listed on there. People whose stuff has something in common with your stuff. Not someone who's doing something radically different than you. Someone whose art looks similar to your art or is in the same vein or you're the same kind of person. Look in the back of their books. They'll often thank their agent. 
look on their website. They often will list their agent. And then you can look at that website of the agency to see what their query process is. And if you can, if you're friends with that artist or you have a friend that's represented by them, try to get an email introduction so that you have a foot in the door already. Yeah. I, everything you said, I concur. Mm-hmm. That's all the advice I would give too. But it's asking. It's just asking, 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 even if you're uncomfortable and don't want to. Beth, you always say something really good that I'm going to chop up if I paraphrase. But basically, it's like you're going to get 100%. Oh, yeah. You won't get anything of the things you don't ask for. (laughs) Yeah. So like if if you're a funder and you have grant money and I don't ask for it, it's 100% positive that I'm not going to get it. But if I apply for it, you might get it. You have a much better shot of getting it. And the thing with agents, you only need one. You just need one. You don't need 10. You just need one person who's a good fit. Yeah. And it's a business relationship. They're looking to make money off you and you're making money through working with them. Mm -hmm. I like to tell my students, which I feel like I read some old man said this, like you don't need an agent until you have money to steal, which is, it's true. Like if you're not actually going to be making money off your work, you don't need an agent. You could, like, say that you're in comics, let's say, and you got a deal with a small publisher. So there's not, there's like $2,000 on the line. Like, nobody wants to take a cut of your $2,000. They'll feel bad for you. And it's also not worth their time. But what you can do, which you should do, is hire a lawyer to look over your contracts. So if you don't have an agent and you get some kind of a contract or an advance or whatever, you need to have a lawyer look at that stuff. And it's going to be worth the money to pay somebody to look through that so you're not screwed later. You don't know what will happen around the corner. You don't know what will happen in your career. You may be like, yeah, right. No one wants my film rights. Well, guess you don't know what's going to happen. Steven Spielberg (laughs) could step off the set of E.T. 2 and want to make your book into something. And then if you fucked away your rights because you were too cheap to hire a lawyer, guess who's getting that money? Like Fanagraphics or whoever. Agreed. Yeah, you have to advocate on your own behalf and you can just fake that. You don't have to feel confident. You just have to be willing. Mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of money in the past year or two on lawyers to protect my intellectual property and it has felt um, financially draining, but also I feel very empowered because they have helped me negotiate for more money than I would have on my own. Crucial. I mean, as you get further and further in your career, you may need sort of the creative adjacent professionals out there whose job it is to help you make more money and keep more of your rights and keep more money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Best Pickens, do you have anything else to say about the state of your life or the world or anything? It's Capricorn season. It's your special day. What is the, what is your Capricorn feeling for right now? Or what is your Capricorn feeling going into the next year of your life? I can feel my power growing. Really? Yeah. It's like pulsating. It's like really growing isn't there a capricorn transit or something happening right now yeah there's something in a something i couldn't speak to that but i definitely can feel my power growing and um something i do like you know i the new the calendar year is not really the new year i pay attention to but because my birthday's in january i always use that as sort of a reset it's just my birthday to birthday is my year Mm -hmm. and so i've been making a list of all of the experiences and explorations and things I'd like to do and try and and who I want to be as a 41 year old. And it's really fun. That is fun. Well, you, I heard, I just heard you on a different podcast talking about how Capricorns are old when they're young and young when they're old. Yes, this is so true. So Capricorn kids are infamous for, you don't have to give them a bedtime. (laughs) You don't have to tell them their homework. They're very serious. They prefer to be around adults. Other children make them uncomfortable. 
And then the older we get, sort of the freer we get and the more wild we get. So when I hit my 50s and 60s, I think is really when I'm going to go get loose and wild. You're going to be a sexaholic. I'm going to be free. So free. I felt it turn in my late 30s, early now to now. I felt like, oh, yeah, I'm like more and more relaxed and getting more and more wild. Like I didn't do mushrooms until I was think I was like thirty six or something. <laughs> something that other people do as a teenager, I don't do till I'm fifty. I still haven't done mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pushing forty, maybe for my fortieth birthday. Forty fourth birthday that could be really Who fun. Knows? Beth, thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, it this is you know it's always an honor for me. It's the honor is ours, and um, I wonder. If, so the the theme song you propose for when you're on the show, Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs singing. Capricorn, Capricorn matters. matters. Capricorn, Capricorn matters. matters. I'll tell you what's the matter with you. <laughs> I'll tell you what's the matter with you. Capricorn matters. And I want that for any if I ever guest host. Okay. <laughs> well, somebody already threatened to do an April Fool's Day Scorpio matters. Oh God. <laughs> I would love to know what that podcast would be about. I feel like it would just be a bunch of Slytherins stomping around in a circle being like secrets secrets yeah, secrets we're like blowing up other people's secrets but not their own <laughs> scorpio secrecy thanks beth pickens thank you sagittarian matters is produced by chris sutton with assistance by ponyo georges our theme music is composed by carolyn pennypacker riggs of the band bouquet thank you for listening and I'll See you next time.